Just kidding. So we're going to get back into the word here of Philippians. Same passage we read last, last week. We, we talked about striving together. And we're going to kind of continue in that vein. Our, our, our title today is, is One Mind. It talks about being in one mind, one spirit, striving together uh, for the gospel, for the kingdom. And so we're going to continue in this, uh, this theme. So uh, verse 27, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And uh, before I read that, I want to I, I give this quote. I heard this quote. Uh, actually, Alistair Begg was preaching a message I was listening to this week, and he quoted Augustine. Uh, Augustine was a bishop, the Bishop of Hippo, which is in Africa. I think it's in the third century is when he was, uh, was serving in ministry in, in uh, North, Northern Africa under the Roman Empire. But Augustine says this. He says, if we believe that we, uh, I'm sorry, if we believe what we like in the gospel and reject what we don't, it's not the gospel that we believe, but ourselves. Amen. And isn't that good? Amen. If we reject what we like in the gospel, and, or if we believe what we, we like in the gospel and reject what we don't, it's not the gospel that we believe, but ourselves. I think that is really, really powerful. Uh, we, we've got to believe the word, not just the parts that we like. Some people, I, I heard, read their Bibles with a highlighter and a mark-a-lot marker. Marks a lot. <laughs> They highlight the ones they like, like, you know, he, he provides all of our needs according to his riches and glory. We'll highlight that one, right? But then when he starts getting on something that, that rubs us the wrong way, we scratch it out, right? Let's, let's ignore that one. We can't read the Bible that way. We can't take the gospel that way. We take all of the word of God. Amen? It is truth. It is life. Amen? So Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am, an, am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, that's what we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, or the fact that they are dying, they are fading away, but to you of your salvation, and that from God. For to you it is granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. All right? So we're going to talk about being in the same mind, being of one mind. This is really the theme and the heart of the book of Philippians, being of one mind, one-mindedness. We're going to see that at least nine times, and I'll refer to all these scriptures today in this message, at least nine times this, this uh, term, be of the same mind, be of one mind, is used in this book. In fact, in the uh, second chapter, it's, it, and it's mentioned in every chapter, we're going to see that today, all, all four chapters, this idea of one-mindedness, uh, being of the same mind, it, it's all throughout the book. In the, in the first chapter, or second chapter, chapter two, in the first five verses, it's mentioned four times. So at least nine times this idea of being of the same mind is mentioned. Let's look at a few of these. So we've already looked at the one in, in uh, verse 27 of chapter 1, that we would stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. 
Philippians chapter 2, again in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 19. He says, I, I, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. Philippians chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, it says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we, are already, that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. In verse, or chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And this really is, it, it, it kind of gives us a picture, this verse right here, the, the second verse of the fourth chapter, gives us a picture that whatever this division is in the church at Philippi, the, these two ladies are at the center of it. Now, it's interesting. If you go back and read the, those the, uh, verse 1 and verse 2, sending around this, he, he talks in, in, in terms of an endearment. And he, he even says of these ladies, these, their, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He calls them beloved. So th this is a gentle rebuke from a pastoral leader of this church saying, hey, th this division is not good. Be of the same mind. And it's, it's done in love. It's done in a way that edifies them, that helps them. He's trying to point out the blind spot that they have, that, that, that whatever it is, the, the, the agenda, that it's running in a different direction than the rest of the church, what God, the, the vision of the church. And they're running on different tracks. Hey, come on, bring it, bring it together. Be of the same mind. He's imploring them, be of the same mind. A friend of mine, Philip Thompson, he, 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 sh he shared this, this concept with me. There are two types of people in every church. Everybody in this building fits into one of these two categories. There are, there are people who are vision players, and there are people who are power players. Vision players understand the vision of God, and they move with vision. Power players try to control. They, they try to advance their own agenda. They, they try to get their thing accomplished. Where, how, how do we fit into that? We need to learn to find the heart of God, the vision of God, and move together in that purpose, to be of the same mind. How do we do that? There, there's some very clear clues in this, in this um, uh, book, in the book of Philippians. There's three things we're going to look at today that I think are, are very helpful for us to understand. How do we come to a place where we are all of the same mind? Before we go, get to those three things, what, what exactly is this mindset that, that he's talking about. I think uh, the best way to say it, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How many of you know we have the mind of Christ? We have the ability to have the view, the perspective, the mindset of Christ. I believe it's, it's, it's encapsulized in the, in the scriptures, it's, it's the mind of God, it's the heart of God, it's the truth of God. It, it is a biblical worldview, it is a Christian worldview. It's to look at things and to see things as God sees things. Right? How does God look at our family? I want my mindset to mind up, line up with his mindset. How does God view our church, how it should function, how we should relate together? I want my view to line up with God's view 
And when we can do that, that's where we're going to begin to walk in unity. So it's, it's the mind of Christ. That's, that's one way we can look at this. Another way I think we can look at it is that it's the mind of the Spirit. The mind of the Spirit. We are to be led and controlled by the Spirit of God. Not by our flesh, not by our own carnal desires, not by our great ideas, but by the Spirit of God. Right? Romans talks about this. Romans chapter 8. Verse 5, he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You see that? If we are ruled by our flesh, it dominates our thoughts. It, it, it frames our view. Our worldview is carnal if we are dominated by our flesh, if we're controlled by the things of our flesh, our appetites and the things of this world. So they set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. There is conflict. When we are allowing our carnal mind, our carnal thoughts, our carnal nature to dominate, we will be in conflict with God and his kingdom. When we are ruled by the spirit of God, we will be in harmony with the kingdom. We will be in harmony with the Lord, and we will be in harmony together as believers. I believe that. Where do we leave off? I'll start back at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So there's, there, there's the, the, the mind of the flesh, the, mind, the carnal mind. There's the mind of the spirit, to be spiritually minded. Verse 7, because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So when we're talking about being of one mind, I, I, I want it to be framed in this idea. It's the mind of Christ. It is the mind of the Spirit. So how do we get to the place where all of us are in the same mind? How, how many of you realize there are probably, I'm looking at about 120 people, maybe 150 people, at least that many mindsets in here, right? All, all of you have a thought about the message that I'm preaching today, and usually it's not the same thought. As I'm sharing concepts, ideas, things, it, it's amazing. I get up on a Sunday morning and preach something, and somebody will come to me and say, man, that was a message, an amazing message. I heard this, this, and this, and I'm like, man, that's not even what I preached, <laughs> we, we all have different perspectives we all have our, our lives have shaped us that shapes the way we think the influences all the things that we have gone through in our life experiences have brought us to the point where we are today and made us the people that we are today and so we all have a different mindset that that needs to be changed that needs to be transformed how, how do we get to a place where we are all of the same mind so we're going to look at three concepts all of them right out of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is where we're going to find this first idea. Let nothing be done with selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. So I, I think the first way that we can work towards being of the same mindset is to humble ourselves and to serve one another. 
Really, that, that's the ultimate example of this, this, uh, this, this epistle, this letter written to the church at Philippi. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who became a servant, was obedient, even though he was God. He, he became a human, and he was obedient to the will of God to the point of death. He wasn't concerned about himself. He, it, 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 it's, it's his words... You know, don't, don't think that the Son of Man came to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That, that encapsulates it right there, what Jesus did in the incarnation. And it's our example in the book of Philippians of how we come to a place of unity, single-mindedness, being in the same spirit together. We're going to look at that next week. Striving together in harmony. How do we do that? By following the example that Jesus Christ set humbling ourselves, and serving one another. That's, that's how we're going to get it done, right? Again, let, let's read it again. Let, it, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Timothy is given as, as an example of this. I'm sending Timothy to you because he's not concerned about his own needs. He's always concerned about the needs of others. That's why I'm sending Timothy to you. That was the endorsement that Paul gave of Timothy. Was he wasn't concerned about his, he was coming to serve, right? So serving is the way that we can overcome division. Serving, humbling ourselves is the way that we will come into the same mindset together. Look at this in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, in a divisive, disorderly. They're not striving in harmony together with you. They're disorderly. They're, 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 they come and they walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we commend and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Two, two really key words there. The, the word disorderly in the, in the Greek, the meaning of it is disorderly, out of ranks. You think, think, of, think of a military, a battalion, marching, and, and there's all, all of them you know, stepping together as they do, and there's one knucklehead that's walking on a different cadence, walking on a different beat, right? I mean, you think about those, those, those pictures that you see on television, those, those men striving, I mean, the, 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 the countenance of their boots hitting the ground, uh, the beauty of them striving together, and there's one man out of harmony. That, that's the picture here. That's the picture. They're disorderly, out of ranks, often so of soldiers, deviating from the prescribed order or rule. That, that's the idea here. We're not supposed to relate to the body in a disorderly way. We're, we are supposed to relate together in a way that produces a harmony, a unity, that we are striving together, right? And then another word is, is busybodies. It says they walk among you in disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. There's another key word there. To be a busybody in, in the Greek, it's to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, and useless matters. Used apparently of a person of, of, uh, officiously inquisitive about others' affairs. 
That's the quintessential definition of a, a busybody. They're always in other people's business, right? Amen. Disruptive. Disruptive. We're going we're gonna to see this as we go through the more, more scripture here. How important it is that we, we worry about our own business, that we make sure our hearts are right, that we're in harmony with the Holy Spirit, we're uh, obedient to the Lord and under the authority of the Scripture so that we are not these busybodies, that we are not coming in amongst the brethren in a disorderly way. We need to strive towards harmony. I could go back and read. There were four Scriptures uh, that that I I read last, last Sunday that talked about the importance of agreeing together. We need to work to agree together. Let, let's get rid, rid of some terminology, okay? Let's, here, here's something we need to strike from our use as Christians, a phrase. Well, we'll just agree to disagree. That's actually contrary to what the scriptures. The Bible teaches us to work together for the unity of faith, not to agree to disagree. When we agree to disagree, we end up putting up fences and becoming sectarians. That's when we agree to disagree, that's how we get denominations. Christians are known for their denominations. Denomination is a mathematical term. It literally means to, to divide. We're to be one body, united, right, by the Holy Spirit, under the authority of God's word, right? Not many bodies, not many sections, but one body. We are to work towards agreement, not on your ideas, not on my ideas, but on the big idea, amen, Amen. on God's truth. We are to unite under God's truth, okay? So number one, we need to learn to humble ourselves. What what causes divisions? Two hard-headed people, right? Two people that are dug in and entrenched in their viewpoints. Until we begin to humble ourselves, consider each other, we will never learn to walk together. We have to humble ourselves. We should never say, I'm not going to go be a part of that team because so-and-so's there. If so-and-so have, you and so-and-so have that big of a problem, you know what you need to do? You need to take so-and-so to lunch, and you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to work towards reconciliation. Listen, this is the ministry we have received. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? We need to reconcile. We should not allow conflict, tension, unforgiveness, whatever it is, to remain between a brother and ourselves. If there's a brother or a sister that really gets on your nerves, we we talked about it last week, long suffering, suffer long with them, endure the pain, and work until they become your best friend. Can you imagine a kingdom where people who were at odds would work together until they became best of friends? I think that's what the kingdom of God should be about. Amen. I believe that. But in, it, it, I mean, we're, we're, we're built for contention. Our culture teaches us that. It's the way of the world, though, honestly. Not the way of God's kingdom. We're to strive together for unity. We have to humble ourselves, number one, to do that. Number two, how do we come to a place where we all are all of the same mind? Let's look to Philippians chapter 2, again, verse 14. Do all things, now this is going to be tough for most of us, do all things without complaining and disputing. 
Let's be honest. Anybody want to raise their hand? How many of you like to complain? <laughs> we, we, we're going to start a new complaint division. There'll be a box outside. You can put your complaints directly in it. Underneath the box will be a trash can. It's really just the lid for the trash can. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stop complaining. Stop disputing. Complaining and disputing causes division. It's pretty clear to see, isn't it? I mean, isn't it just clear right from the word of God? Stop complaining, stop disputing. If we would stop complaining and disputing, how much harmony would we have? If we would stop, listen, I I believe this. If, If God, let me say it this way. If you're frustrated about something, perhaps God has given you a burden to make it better. Stop complaining about it and stop working to resolve it. Start working to resolve it. When I was pastoring in Kentucky, we, we had a youth ranch there at the church, and it was full of problems. We, we, we had all kinds of kids with, that, that came from broken backgrounds, and, and they were all, always causing problems, discipline, issues. There was a lack of leadership. There, there was a lack of structure. And one day, I got hot because one of those kids got one of my kids, my own children, in, in a corner and was bullying him, and I walked in on it. And I got upset. And so I went to our, our, our elders. We, we were led by an elders board. I went to our elders and told them about it the next week. And I just dumped all of my frustration and all my complaints and all, all, all the anger that I had right there out into the board meeting. We need to get rid of this, this ministry. It's more problem than anything. And, and a brother of mine came to me, and, and he talked to me afterwards. He said, do you think maybe perhaps there's a reason you're frustrated? Do you think maybe perhaps there's something you can do about it and maybe God is giving you a burden to fix it? And so I moved into the position of the director of that that ministry and I worked for the next year to build new structures, new systems, to bring in new leadership and to fix the problem. Sometimes when we're having frustrations about things, it's God revealing to us something that needs to get fixed. Instead of griping and complaining and arguing about it, maybe you need to get your hands on it and get to work about it. Work in a way that's not divisive, but in a way that will bring a resolve, that will strengthen the body, that will edify the body. Stop complaining about it. Stop disputing. Listen to James. James chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Don't grumble grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You're, com- you're, you're, you're judging someone else, and the judge is just waiting to judge you. Amen. That's the picture here. How, how many times in Scripture does it say, judge not least, you be judged? If you judge, you will be judged with the same measure, right? It, it, it's the saying, right? If you're pointing a finger at somebody, you're wrong, you're doing this. Remember, there's, there's always right, uh, more fingers pointing back at you. That, that's the saying, right? It's, it's the concept that Jesus was expressing to us. Hey, you're, you're, you're complaining about a little speck of wood in your, in your neighbor's eye. You've got a big log. I mean, like the whole tree is in your eye, and you're worried about a little piece of bark. Right? We're complaining against them. We're griping. And then, listen, if we would examine our own selves, this is what the Scripture teaches, we would not have need to be judged. That's the idea. Think about it. 
We need to be more, it, 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 this concept was in the, we, we talked about it a minute ago, busybodies. They're always meddling about other people's affairs. What about your business? The thing about this, this thing of a busybody and being judgmental is we're, we're, we're picking their household apart, we're picking their business apart, we're picking their lifestyle apart, and we don't even realize that we are a wreck ourselves. We need to spend time tending our own garden, pulling our own weeds, right? Fixing the cracks in our own home. Build your own family. Take care of your own ministry, right? When you, it, 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 it's just, you, you learn this after 25 years being around people. The people who are complaining the loudest usually are the, 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 a wreck. Dysfunctional, broken down, blaming. We've got to take time to look back at ourselves and take care of our own yard, our own home, our own business. Stop grumbling against each other, one another, brethren. These you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Another passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, this is in the context of grieving the Holy Spirit, let all bitterness, these, these are all relational, relational terms, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. The word evil, for evil speaking there is, is blas, blas, blasphemia, blaspheme, to slander a brother, to slander, to detract, uh, to, to speak with injurious speech, to someone else's good name. Impious and reproachful speak, speech injurious to divine majesty. That's the idea of blasphemy. So let, let's go back and read it again. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking or blasphemy be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Second principle. How do we come to a place where we are of the same minds? Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop disputing. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel another passage this is not in the notes but just reading this morning second timothy chapter 2 second timothy chapter 2 verse 23 but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes do me a favor Get a, get a piece of notebook paper and just write that phrase on there. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Write it on a piece of notebook paper, take a piece of tape, and tape it to your computer. <laughs> so you can be reminded that every time you get on Facebook, you don't have to get in a fight. Amen. <laughs> you don't have to respond to everybody's boneheaded stuff that they put up. You don't have to, you don't have to respond to their political stuff to their antichrist stuff, to their whatever it is, you don't have to argue with them. Amen. Your life will be a whole lot more joyful. Amen. I promise you. Don't, don't argue. Don't dispute. Right? 
Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patience, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been take, taking, take, taken captive by him to do his will. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young preacher. This is, this is sage advice to a young minister. But it's good advice to all of us in the way that we relate to people. You see somebody walk in a way that, that's contrary to the word, you don't have to beat them up. You don't have to bully them back to correction, to the, to, you know, to the right path. It's, it's gentleness. Tender, being tender-hearted towards them. Right? Amen. Bringing them back onto the right path. It's, it, this is the way we should lead our kids. Right? When, when they're going astray. When they're on the wrong path. When they're on, in opposition to the kingdom of God. Gentleness, tender-heartedness towards them to bring them back on the right path. So let's stop complaining. Let's stop grumbling. Let's move to the place where we are forgiving, where we are considerate, where we are tender-hearted, where we're loving people. You look at, and this is really in the context of the gifts of the Spirit, but there, there are really two overarching principles there, but I think there are overarching principles for just the way that we do life in general in the body of Christ. The two things that will make the gifts of the Spirit work properly will help us to relate together properly. And here are, here are the two overarching rules, I, I believe, for practicing effectively the gifts of the Spirit. Let everything be done in love. Let everything be done in edification. If we would relate to each other with those same principles, how great would kingdom life be? How much fun would it be to come to church? How, 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 how quickly could we get over a lot of these divisions and these strivings and the conflicts that we experience with our own brothers and sisters in the Lord? Think about it. So number two, stop arguing, stop complaining, stop disputing. Number, number three, how do we come to a place where we are all of the same mind? Again, from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter four, Verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So the third thing we need to learn to do is to meditate on the good things. This whole passage right here, the, the best way that we could do this is, I, I think, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the best way we can accomplish it is to think about Jesus. Right? Because he's true. He's noble. He's just. He's pure. He's lovely. He has a, a good report. He's got virtue. He's praiseworthy. Amen? So if we would focus on Jesus instead of all the negativity... Think about it. How, how, how do we do this? How, how do we do this? Another passage that I, I think would help us to do this, to think on the good things. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Hold fast the word of life, 
so that I may rejoice the day of Christ that I have not run in, in vain or labored in vain. How, how do we set our minds on the good things? We need to set our minds on the word of God. Right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of the sinner, sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights himself in the law of God, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. Everything that he does shall prosper, and his leaf will not wither. That's the declaration of a man whose mind is set on the word of God. We, we, we have a problem in, in church culture. It, it's that our worldviews are not set in the word of God. They're set on everything else around us. Cultural ideas. Pop Christian cultural ideas that are actually counter to what God's word teaches. Just because you're hearing a preacher saying it, just because it's the latest trend or fashion in the church, doesn't mean that it aligns with God's word. So just because we're seeing it somewhere doesn't mean it lines up. It's, it's the way of God. We need our minds fixed on the word of God. We, we need our worldview shaped by the word of God. The Bible talks about the, the renewing of our minds by the washing of the water of the word of God. We've got mindsets. You, you think about certain things the same way. And, and the uh, scientists, uh, whoever studies the brain, whatever you would call those guys, they'll, they'll tell you this, that, that there are literally pathways burnt. There, our, mind, our, our brains, there, there's an electrical current running through your mind. And that current runs on a pathway. So when your wife says something to you a certain way, you go down that same path in response every single time. We have to have our minds retrained. The world sought us to do it this way, and that path has been burnt into our mind. This is the way, when somebody wrongs me, this is the way that I respond. We've learned it from the world. We saw our mom and dad do it. We saw kids at school doing it, and we've learned to respond to that way, and that pathway has been burnt into our mind, and we need to get into the word of God so that our minds can be renewed, right? Right, be not conformed to this world, but be renewed. Be renewed in your mind. Right? It's in your mind. Amen. I said it last week. Some of, us, some of us need more of a removal of our mind than a renewal of our mind. <laughs> Anybody can relate. Like I, disconnect this one and connect the mind of Christ. Right? We, we need a new way of thinking. We, we need a new focal point. We need a new focus. A new mindset that is centered on the good things of God. Amen? Not the corruption of this world. Hold fast the word of life. That's the way we focus on the good things of God. Hold fast the word of God. We need, as I preached for the entire month of November and December, we need to get grounded in the word of God. Amen? We need to get rooted in it. We need our, our mind changed. Listen to what Corinthians says about, about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through six, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds are in your mind. I'm gonna come back to that. Casting down arguments, that's, that's in your mind. And every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience 
is fulfilled. This passage is talking about our mindsets. You see, you have strongholds in your mind. You have certain ways of thinking about certain things that are strongholds in your mind. The enemy has a way to work in your mind because you have a certain mindset about certain things. They have offended me, I'm not gonna talk to them anymore. That's a mindset, that is a stronghold where the enemy can come in and play in your mind. Paul addresses this, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken. I think, no, I think it's the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. This is just off the top of my head, so if I'm misquoting it, I'm sorry where, where the address is. But, but Paul says this, there, there was a brother who had done something to bring offense in the church of Corinth. And Paul says, set an example to the church. He says, I forgive that man, lest Satan would have a stronghold or a foothold. See, when we choose to walk in unforgiveness, which is the the principle of of darkness, God's kingdom, the principle is forgiveness. The enemy wants to lock us in unforgiveness. When our mindset is, they've done this to me, I'll never forgive them, I'll never talk to them again, I'll never participate in anything they're participating in again, I don't want to be around them anymore, when I see them at the store, I'm going to walk. That, that unforgiveness is a mindset of the enemy. He's got a stronghold, he's got a trap, he's got a place in your life where he has a leg up over you. So the weapons, spiritual weapons pull down those strongholds. Worship. Prayer life, fasting, in the word, fellowship with the saints of God, all of the spiritual disciplines are weapons that will destroy those strongholds and change the way that we think. Relating to brothers and sisters in the Christ. I I learned the way of God from, from the mature saints of God. They taught me to walk in the ways of God, changing the way that I view life changing my viewpoint, changing all of the things I had picked up from the ways of the world to learn to walk in the ways of the kingdom of God. Those are strongholds. Arguments in verse 5. Casting down arguments. Pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. And the, the word here in the Greek is logismos, Logic. How many of you have tried to be logical about the things of God? You cannot do it. There's nothing logical about Jesus dying in your place. There's nothing logical about forgiving someone who ripped you off. There's nothing logical about forgiving people who, who have, have, have come against your family. Right? There's nothing logical about that. The things, and we can just go on hundreds and hundreds of things in the kingdom of God, that in our human understanding they make absolutely no sense. So you can't reason the things of God with human reasoning. It's illogical. It goes against our carnal nature. It goes against our fallen nature. And so we have to cast down the the reasoning, the arguments, the logic. We have to cast it down. The way that we think about it, that to to us it makes sense and is logical, we have to throw that down and say, you know what, it may not make sense, but I'm going to do here what the word of God is saying I need to do in this situation. I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm going to, to pray for those who despitefully use me. That's illogical. It goes against everything that makes sense. The world looks at us and thinks we're foolish when we operate in the principles of the things of God. That's the reality. So we have to cast down arguments, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Amen? Amen. Bringing every thought, every 
fought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So it's about your thought life. It's about your thought life. I mean, this, how are we doing on time? We're good. I got, I got plenty of time. I got all day. Jude. Let's look at Jude. Beloved, while I was, and this is verse 3. And this isn't in the notes. It's not on the overhead. You can just get your Bible, get your phone, and read along. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in, unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, and here, here's characteristics of these ungodly men, they turn the grace of God into lewdness, and they deny the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 8. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. Same, talking about these same people who have crept in, who are lewd. They deny the lordship of Jesus. They turn, they, they, they've turned God's grace into lewdness. Likewise, these same dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. And the word dignitary literally could be translated to the glorious things of God. Marriage. I mean, you name it. They speak against what God says is glorious. Amen. The church. We could we go through anything that, is, that God has called glorious. They speak against it. They, they revile. First, uh, we're not going to read the whole book today. There's only one chapter, but we're not going to read it all. Let's, let's skip down to verse 16. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words. They, they sound really good. Flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons they cause divisions, not having the Spirit. We're gonna, and we're going to come to that next week. We've talked about striving together. We've talked about being in the same mind. Next week, we're going to talk about one Spirit. One Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. How, how do we respond to these people? How do we as believers respond? I'm going I'm to show you right here from this, this book. Verse, verse 9 in Jude. While Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when, the, when, when he disputed about the body of Moses, so there was, uh, there, there was some contention. Won't, won't get into the, uh, the, the, the whole theological overview of what happens when we die and what happened before Christ when people die. We won't get into that. But they were, that, that's where we're at. This is uh, before Christ, some kind of a scene. And Ma Michael, uh, I, we don't know what, what all is happening here, but the devil contending with Michael, I should say, over the body of Moses, right? When, when Michael the archangel, let's read this, verse 9, 
Michael the, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring an accusation, or against him, I'm sorry, a, a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael did not argue with Lucifer. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. When somebody is divisive, when somebody is contentious, whenever Yodi and Syntyche, if they refuse to repent, how do we deal with that? We don't have to fight the battle. That, 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 that's what Michael is doing here. He's not fighting the battle. He's giving the battle to the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to give you over to the Lord, and he'll take care of you. That's the way we deal with it. Simple. Simple. Let God fight your battles. Amen? Amen. Let the Lord fight for it. So how, how do we come to a place where we are all of the same mind? Three things I gave you today. Number one, we've got to humble ourselves. Number two, we need to check ourselves. Stop arguing. Stop complaining. Check your own heart. And number three, we need to ground ourselves. We need to be grounded in what is true and lovely and just, what is praiseworthy. We need to be grounded in Jesus. We need to be grounded in his word. Humble yourself. Check yourself. Ground yourself. If we would all do this, what harmony there would be. Amen. Let's stand, let's stand together.